Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let us pray. Holy Father, we come before you. The great Yahweh. We come before you, Lord, this day and just say we love you, Father. And we are so grateful that you have begotten us again to a living hope. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Lord, for all of those who are raised from the dead, this sermon is about the new reality that is now true about them. And I pray, Lord, as we go through these texts, that you would help us to recognize this in ourselves and to examine ourselves against these texts and this reality, this new creation reality, this kingdom that Christ is telling us about. And Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit this day that you would take these words and apply them to each one here as needed. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we come back to this scene here where where the very Messiah has come. And as we, we're going to step back into Exodus 34 today a little bit and uh, talk about that. But in Exodus 34, God came down on a mountain, this Yahweh, and he preached a sermon to Moses. He proclaimed the name of the Lord there. And so now this one that came down has now come into the world taking upon himself the seed of Abraham as Messiah. And where he came down on the mountain, now Christ goes up on a mountain. And here Christ preaches this message to us. And as Christ comes and he's preaching this message to us, we realize that everything that we think about the world is wrong. Everything we think we know is not right. And as he begins to teach us about this kingdom reality, we realize that Christ has come from another realm, another universe, so to speak, that has a different culture and different ways, a perfect place. And now he's teaching the children who have been born into that new reality about that world and that culture that is so opposite to this world and this reality. When we come to this Christ and to this kingdom, the first thing that happens is we're put off center. (laughs) 
We're not the center of the universe anymore. We realize that we are not complete. That we're not right. And we come to realize that true happiness is not found in the substance of this world. But the substance of this new spiritual reality. I think that John kind of sums it up quite well in talking about this reality, this new reality, and a realization of it that a person comes to when they're born again when he says in 1 John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not because it knew Him not. This new reality of being born again and united to Christ in spirit means the world doesn't know us. In fact, we almost don't know ourselves. He said, beloved, we are now are we now right now are we the sons and daughters of God? And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we are becoming that. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And these graces and these realities that he's talking about here is that new creation that you are being transformed into. Line by line, text by text, little by little. These first four Beatitudes are emptying graces. You must be emptied before you can be filled. I was rereading Ruth this week. Y'all remember how Naomi was empty. Completely emptied. Even so that when she came back, she said, Don't call me Naomi anymore, but call me Mara. Because the Lord has come out against me. But in the end of that story, what do we read? He emptied her and he filled her with joy unspeakable. And so these first four Beatitudes are emptying graces where we come to realize we are completely bankrupt. And seeing our condition, we mourn and weep over our state. And from there, we become meek or teachable. We become under control, strength under control. And being emptied of all self-righteousness, we hunger and thirst after the one thing we need, which is Jesus Christ, the Lord our righteousness. The second four Beatitudes are the fruits of grace. And so once emptied, Once this exercise of heart has taken place, now grace begins to work out in the world. And the first of these we see today is blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. The main point today is this. Your being shown mercy 
will result in you showing mercy and receiving more mercy. Your being shown mercy will result in you showing mercy and receiving more mercy. So let's today renew and deepen our understanding about this great mercy. First, let's just talk about the happiness of mercy. All of these Beatitudes begin with blessed. Blessed are the merciful. The happiness of mercy. You will be supremely happy as you show mercy. Being in a kingdom that's built on mercy. In the very presence of Christ who is mercy. As we live in the presence of he who is the being of mercy. You will be happy. You will be fortunate. You will be happier and happiest. In Matthew 16 and 17. I believe. Last week this was in the message. Jesus answered and said to them. Blessed are you Simon Barjona. See that blessed are you Simon Barjona. Why is Simon happy here? Why is he blessed? Because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my father which is in heaven. And the whole point of that is. The church is built upon a supernatural revelation. To you. By faith. How happy are the people. Who have had this revealed to them. That Jesus is the hope. The savior. And also again. Christ would say in Matthew 24, 46, Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Happy is that servant, you, when the master comes, Jesus, will find you performing acts of mercy. You're happy when you do what he did and you show mercy to others. So the happiness of mercy is that we live in the presence of him whose very essence is happiness. And it is our joy to follow in his example. And so we love him whom we have not seen and we show mercy as he showed mercy. Are you in that kingdom of happiness? Are you experiencing that joy? And blessedness in your life. As you show mercy on others. So if the merciful are happy. Who are they? Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Who are the merciful? Here it says blessed are the merciful. So we have that. The. The definite article there. We're not talking about a merciful people. We're talking about the merciful. Just like this article, we would not talk about the preaching of a cross. We talk about the preaching of the cross. 
We don't talk about a Christ. We talk about the Christ. Blessed are the merciful. The merciful are those who have obtained eternal mercy. Those who have obtained like precious faith. Eternal vessels of mercy. And we think of Romans 9 when we think of vessels of mercy. In Romans 9 and 15, quoting directly from Exodus chapter 33, which we're going to go there in a minute. Paul quoting says Romans 9, in Romans 9, 15, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. And he's pointing out there, it's not of the will of man. It's not anything we do whereby we receive that mercy. You see, the very definition of mercy is it's bestowed on an undeserving person. The act of granting mercy is a sovereign act. It's an act only a sovereign can perform. Whenever you need mercy from someone or you hear a story of someone seeking mercy from someone, they go to that person because that person is the only one who can grant them mercy and relief. God is the one who says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And Peter, speaking of these, says, who were once a people, who were not a people. 1 Peter 2.10 Who were... Once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained what? Mercy. But now have obtained mercy. I was reading a little article this week about a spring over in France. I don't know if I can pronounce it. The thing that used to irritate my French friends was whenever I tried to speak French with a Texan accent. But for centuries, there's this spring over there in, in France that's just been gushing out water. It's been recorded back in the 1700s and even earlier in Roman literature about this, uh, this spring called the Fosse d'Ione. And uh, it's in the Burgundy region of France and it's surrounded by manicured vineyards and a fortified Renaissance chateau, medieval hill towns. It's one of these beautiful, mysterious attractions in the countryside there. And there's this seemingly bottomless spring-fed pit there in this small town. And 82 gallons a minute on average are gushing out of this spring. And back in the 70s and 80s, there were three divers that went down to try to find the source of this spring and those three divers never returned. It's 
recorded that the, the Romans would harness this for drinking water. And it was considered to be a sacred place. As I was reading this article, I noticed that it had been written about in several different publications and how there was this intrigue around the mystery of a bottomless spring water. Well, if that's intriguing, what about the bottomless spring of mercy? That every day, even living with this sin, propensity for sin that we have, and not loving Him with all of our heart and our neighbor as ourself, that we still are getting mercy every minute and every second. Bottomless spring of mercy coming from this source of mercy. Infinite source of mercy. Those who are the blessed, the merciful, are those who have obtained this infinite mercy from God. This act of being merciful that flows from God to us and then from us to others is a supernatural act. This kind of mercy does not grow on planet earth. Christ would talk about this later in the sermon when he would say, turn the other cheek. If your enemy abuses you, do good to your enemy. Love your enemy. Is that your natural inclination? How about you kids? If your brother or sister comes up to you and slaps you, what do you do? Do you put your hand behind your back and turn the other cheek and say, oh sweet brother, please slap my other cheek? That's, that's just not natural to us, is it? This kind of mercy is a supernatural act, not from planet Earth. And yet, as new creations, we have this capacity to have mercy. Isn't that wonderful? You know, mercy was unknown to the Jews because the Jews had distorted the teaching in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, which was really a civil law. That was capital punishment, which was meant to restrain sin. They had taken that and just made it an everyday law for how they behaved and how they thought. And Christ said, you know, you've heard it said this, but I say unto you, he's correcting that. The Roman culture that Christ is living in at this time when he's preaching this sermon also was a culture of justice and not mercy. When a baby was born, they would hold the baby up and the Roman father would look at that baby and give it the thumbs up or the thumbs down. They were allowed to kill their slaves if they wanted to and there was no recourse. We think that's strange. And then we watch a football game. Is mercy the number one virtue that we see in our sports today? Or is it a killer instinct? This kind of mercy is supernatural. It's from a different place. A different world. It's radically opposite of what they knew in that day and what we know in our day. 
Out of this bottomless spring of mercy, Psalms 136 is one of the beautiful descriptions of this. Psalms 136. I know you're familiar with this. Because what does every verse end with? For his mercy endures forever. Many of the Psalms are joyful responses to God's declaration that he is a merciful God. Psalms 136, So give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endures forever. 26 refrains. His mercy endures endures forever ending with oh give thanks unto the god of heaven for his mercy endures forever the merciful are those the merciful the happy are those who have obtained this mercy has been bestowed upon you based upon the work of christ that will never be removed And so our heart becomes merciful by being shown mercy. And then we show mercy to others and receive more mercy. We are shown mercy in regeneration. What is more merciful than God going to a dead creature and saying, live As I heard someone say one time, there's only one thing a dead person can do. Stink. And so God has mercy on us. And He raises us from the dead. shows us our poverty. It's mercy for Him to show us our condition. Because if you don't know you're sick, you won't go to the physician. It's a mercy for him to empty us out of all of this junk so that he can fill us with what is good. And so as we think about this, being mercy, merciful is to be happy. And the merciful are those who have had this mercy bestowed upon them in a sheer act of mercy. And they are the merciful. And they are the ones who show mercy. From infinite mercy. But what is the meaning of this mercy? What is the source of this mercy? Well, we've already spoken of that some. But let's dig into that a little bit more. In our third point. What is this mercy? What is its source? Well, it's the very being of God. If we go to Exodus 34, in this 
same Yahweh that is preaching in a man's body, the Sermon on the Mount, is the same one who descended here in Exodus. And Moses is a unique individual because he's the one whom God revealed three of his primary names to. He told Moses, I am. He told Moses that he is Yahweh and also the shortened version of that, Yah. And here in Exodus 33 and 34, Moses has, has come to this point and we have this great revelation about what God's name is here. And Moses, who has seen God deliver Israel, he's seen the miracles. He's got some understanding of this Passover and this blood sacrifice and passing by the sins of humanity. And here they are, they're about to go into this wilderness land and they're about to move forward. And Moses, who's seen all of this, he's been on the mount with God and yet he's hungering and thirsting for more. And he says, God, show me your glory in chapter 33. I beseech you, show me your glory, 3318. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Yahweh before you. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And so there he tells him, hew two stones, table of stone like the first, and I'll write on these, be ready in the morning, you come up to Sinai. And so Moses goes up there. It's, we should also take note of this declaration this time. The scene upon this declaration of God's name is taking place after the most heinous sin. Because what has just happened? After all the miracles and all the mercies of God upon Israel, they came down and made a golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain and they called that calf Yahweh. And so in the face of the most heinous sin of all, God comes down and declares His name. And the Lord descended in 34.5. The Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now he's just told Moses there in 33.19, I'm going to pass, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. And he proclaims the name of Yahweh. And there's been a lot of debate and commentators and people for hundreds of years about what does that name mean? Are we even pronouncing it right? How do we say it? There's no vowels in it. Well, God tells us what it means right here. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Yahweh. The Yahweh God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the father upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. So in this declaration of his name, as he's proclaiming, as he's preaching his name, the first attribute is mercy. And he's proclaiming my name is mercy in the face of the greatest sin that Israel would ever commit. And calling a golden calf, Yahweh. There are nine attributes listed here in this text. At least nine, some say more. And Eight of the nine attributes all flow out of mercy. Mercy, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. And then keeping mercy for thousands. And this declaration right here of the name of God in Exodus 34 becomes the pillar of your faith, of Israel's faith. Because as you go through the rest of the Old Testament, they will rehearse this sermon again and again and again. And this is that mercy that has been bestowed upon you. This great I am... I am is, I exist. I am the being of beings. I am the being by which all things are alive in this room right now. Your thinking, feeling, reasoning is all existing now and you're experiencing life because He is being. And in Him we live and move and have our being. And of this being of beings, the very essence of who this being is, is mercy. He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. What is the goodness of God? This great goodness is mercy. This is the source of this mercy. And we don't got time to go into all the attributes, but he also says keeping mercy for thousands. Which has the idea of preserving or being the preserver of infinite mercy. Which has the idea in it of being forgiving and always forgiving. Now isn't that a great comfort to us when we have let that word fly out of our mouth that shouldn't? We said that cruel thing to the one we love. We've gut punched someone we love. That we can repent and expect not wrath but mercy. And that we can go make it right with that person through this mercy that he has given us. Keeping mercy for thousands. This is God's nature. The Psalms overflow with this song after song after song. And song 
143a, just for a couple of examples. Cause me, here's the psalmist praying, cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto you. Turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103 appears to be an entire song written for the very purpose of praising God for this mercy. And how does it start? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities, who heals all thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender, what? Mercies. And then look at verse 7. You remember where he says, I'm going to show you my ways. I'm going to declare my name. I'm going to show you my glory. This seems to be a direct reference to that here in Psalms 103.7. He made known his ways unto Moses. What are his ways? That I'm merciful, long-suffering, patient, kind, keeping mercy for thousands. And then look at the next verse. Direct quote from Exodus 34. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Wow. Plenteous in mercy. How great is it that after the worst act of sin in Israel... That God reveals, I'm a God of mercy first. And he would even tell us in Isaiah 28, judgment is a strange work to me. Because that's not God's first inclination. But he does it because he is a just God. So song after song, declarations of mercy. Even after the wickedest sin they would ever commit, mercy And now think about yourself. What's the worst sin you have committed? Maybe even this week. If you're in Christ and you're not justifying yourself, that is one of the most humiliating things to do is to recognize I have sinned against mercy. And if you're like me, you, you weep and you mourn over that. You say, Lord, have mercy. David in his Psalm 51, after the worst sins he would ever commit, adultery and murder, says, have mercy upon me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. According to your loving kindness, blot out my transgressions. Have you tasted that mercy in your life? Oh, I hope you have. 
I hope you have tasted supernatural mercy. Because there are many in this world who perform acts of mercy for their own selfish ends that are really acts of sin. Because whatever is not of faith is sin. But supernatural mercy, that's something else. This is a divine attribute of the divine nature of which, what does Peter tell us? You are partakers of the divine nature. So how are we to show mercy? Well, James 2 13 through 17. And again, whenever you, you look at these Old Testament texts and you come read James 2, this sounds like he's talking right out of God's declaration of who he was. For he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy. Isn't that what God just said at the end of those attributes? He gives those eight attributes of mercy, but, it, but he said he will by no means clear the guilty, which means he will not clear the impenitent, the unrepentant, those without faith. For he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy. And mercy rejoices against judgment. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and has not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be you warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. And James is teaching us what true faith looks like, not dead faith, not the devil's faith, where the faith, the devils believe and tremble. He's talking about true, regenerative faith. Grace-given faith that proceeds out of the new creation is one that will be showing mercy to people and not just saying, well, God bless you and go home, but you take care of what their needs are. I'll never forget this. It comes to my mind. I probably used this before. I hope you all don't mind me repeating this one. We were at a... We went... One of the Christian radio stations in Dallas, this is probably 20 years ago, had a concert out there. We went to this. We listened to some Christian music that day. But as I was looking around at the crowd and everything, and uh, well, anyway, there were just some observations, and I got the opportunity to make an observation to Morgan and Cassidy when they were younger. So we went over to this place, and there were these two booths, okay? In one booth, they're selling raffle tickets for the giveaway of a Harley Davidson motorcycle. The line was all the way, it looked like it was a mile long. Next to that booth was a booth for Compassion International. I love that name, Compassion International. Where for $30 a month, now it's probably 40 you can sponsor a child and help take care of their bodily needs and their spiritual needs. There was nobody at that booth. I pulled them aside, my two daughters, and I said, take a look at this. I said, that's not right. And we went up there and we got us signed up to get us a kid. I tell you, I just love how easy it is for us to be able to show mercy today. We had that. We went to see a show recently, and Compassion International was there. I've volunteered before with that organization at events, 
at one event. And uh, it's easy for us. Do you know that through Brother Guna, that you can sponsor and help take care of the needs of a poor child in India? Through our contributions that we give to the local, the, uh, the bridge, for helping mothers that have what would call a crisis pregnancy, we help and show mercy so that the baby might be saved. We have opportunities to show mercy all the time. Do you know sometimes we fail to show mercy to those people who are the closest to us? And we're not to be like that, right? We're not to be like that. We are to show mercy, especially to those the closest to us, so that we're not putting forth a life of hypocrisy, but that we are authentic with those that are the closest with us, so that when we are out in the world, there's some power in our testimony. I also think of, as I was reading through that Ruth this week, about how Boaz, Ruth the Moabites, it says that again and again, Ruth the Moabites, Ruth the Moabites. That means Ruth, the accursed offspring from an incestuous relationship. That's what that means. And here this Ruth the Moabites, Boaz comes, he notices her. He speaks to her. And she falls down on her face. She said, who am I? That you would show mercy to me. I'm the accursed. And again and again we see this. These stories like the Boaz is the Christ in the story. Showing mercy on those who don't deserve mercy. And then we find out who Boaz is. Grandmother, mother is. Rahab. Who God had mercy on. (laughs) And redeemed. And he learned that mercy from his mama, his grandma. The ultimate mercy. Well, here we see this Yahweh who is the being of mercy. Who has stepped forth in time over the last several thousand years and revealed himself to humanity and has recorded it for us so that we might see that he is a God of mercy. And he proclaims, I am the very being of mercy. In 2 Corinthians 1 3, it says, He's the Father of mercies, the begetter of mercy. Mercy comes from him as naturally as children come from a father. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Not only that, he's raised you up together, and you're sitting positionally, eternally, Right now, you are already seated at the right hand of God. Eternal mercy. Secured mercy. Permanent mercy. 
And he's raised us up together with him in that place. That for what is the purpose of that? That in the ages to come. We will be singing these psalms of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That in the ages to come. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The kindness where he didn't have to save anybody. And yet. He saves many. He saves many. And in this picture we have of Yahweh coming down and speaking. I am mercy. Then Yahweh comes down and takes on the seed of Abraham. You know what one of the very meanings of the term mercy and compassion is? It means that you can get inside someone's skin. He got inside our skin. He came and became a man. You know, he didn't have to do that. I believe the infinite God could have understand what it's like because he's infinite. But you know why he became a man? It's for you. So that you might understand what this mercy looks like. In John 17, 6, Jesus, that great prayer, he's praying there. And we, we say that God, you know, in, in Exodus 34, he said, I proclaimed my name. And then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see the proclamation of this name being the God of mercy. And then Jesus in John 17, 6, God who has come into our skin to show us mercy, says, I have manifested thy name. Unto the men which you gave me out of the world. And what is that name? That name is mercy. Isn't that good news, brothers and sisters? Isn't that the kind of mercy that melts your heart? Isn't that the kind of mercy we need? The kind of mercy that comes down and becomes sin for us. He didn't become a sinner. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. He came and he lived that life. And then he was punished as if he lived your life. That's mercy. And then he was raised up and vindicated. And we get the merits of all of that through the Holy Spirit. We get the merits of Christ's life. And paying the debt for that. And so God can come be be just and the justifier. And yet God is not mocked. There are many who... Hear of this mercy. And turn from it. And there are warnings about that. Deuteronomy 29, 18. Lest there should be among you a man or a woman or a family or a tribe whose heart turns away this day from the Yahweh, from the mercy. To go and to serve other gods, nations, lest there should be among you a root that bears gall and wormwood. And it come to pass that when they hear the words of this curse. Now listen to this. They bless themselves 
in their heart and they say, I will have peace even though I walk in the imagination of my heart. What a dangerous place to be. Because he says, I will by no means clear the impenitent. And I know God's got to give. He gives repentance. And he gives mercy. But he also calls everyone everywhere to repent. And he says, let the wicked turn from their way, forsake their thoughts, and turn to God. And he will have compassion on them. And today we have Jesus speaking to us in this room through the Holy Spirit in this sermon yet again about this kingdom reality that if we are in Christ, we will be happy because we have obtained this infinite mercy and we will show this mercy on others. And we need to go and do likewise. I pray that God would bless you to do that. I pray that if you have not repented of your sins. Maybe God is dealing, maybe the Holy Spirit is working in your life and bringing you to that place of being weary and heavy laden with your sins. Maybe today is the day of salvation where the Holy Spirit is bringing you to new life. Repent of your sins. Go to this God of mercy. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. That is mercy dripping all over that. And all those prices that come to me, he will in no wise turn away. That's mercy. I pray that God would have mercy on you. They would help us to show mercy so that we might show to the world there is something supernatural about Christ and his kingdom and his church. May God bless his word. Amen.